Welcome to the Real Estate Woman's Podcast. Thanks for pulling up a chair to our roundtable discussion. Here, we'll teach you how you can create a stream of passive income through multifamily investing, and we'll help you to shift your mindset so you can start living the life you really want to be living by design today. Hello, and welcome to the Real Estate Women. I'm Candy. I'm Colleen. I'm Tamara. And I'm Crystal. Welcome to the Passive Investing Podcast. So for today's episode, we're going to be talking a bit um, about what it's actually like to be a passive investor. Because, you know, it's one thing to hear from professionals on various um, subjects within passive investing. But it, I think it'll be really nice for you guys to really hear um, what it's like to be a passive investor from someone who has, that's now their nine to five, their sole career is passive investing. I'm jealous. So let me start with that. And um, that is the reason we brought on Charles. So thank you so much, Charles, for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Welcome, Charles. So uh, Charles is an electrical engineer by degree. At the age of 56, with no prior involvement in real estate, his wife dragged him to a real estate investing meeting, which is where his passive investing began. In the approximately 13 years of his multifamily journey, he has entered 70 syndications, 37 of which have been sold, he is currently holding 33 at this time. He has invested in about 8,800 doors and is holding about 5,000 doors today. So Charles, will you tell us a little bit about how and why you got started as an LP? Well, I thought it covered it. My wife dragged me and forces me to do <laughs> I actually then found that I liked it, so I continued. Uh, the, the short story or the, the too long a short story was my wife was trying to be a realtor and she decided she didn't like work, working nights and weekends. Mm. So we're going to go try this meeting thing and it, it worked. Now I get to do the work. <laughs> so she convinced you. <laughs> so what, what was the first thing that enticed you? Like you went to this meeting that you didn't want to go to and what was it that they said that sparked the interest? What was it like? Okay, well, Maybe I do like this. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm going to mention the name. It's uh, uh, Lifestyles Unlimited. It's based out of Houston. They have offices in several Texas cities, and I think they're also in Atlanta and a couple others. But uh, good organization. So we went down there. They had a two-day weekend meeting. The first day, they covered all single family. Not particularly interested in single family. I don't want to have to deal with people, especially those that might have, you know, problems. Like, I can't pay you. That's just sort of an inconvenience. Uh, toilets, tenants, the things they usually talk about. The next morning, they started talking about multifamily. And multifamily is math. You said engineer, which I am. I like math. It made sense. I could figure out what they were talking about, how it worked, you know, and I could see the benefit of it. I was in. So we took the rest of the training and started investing in these. Nice. nice. So you started. I'm sorry, Crystal, go ahead. Did you start um, as a, a, a limited partner right yes. off the bat, or did you yes. use it? I've always been an LP, which I call lazy person, and have done that since the beginning. It's quite, it's lovely, isn't it? Um, the side. You realize that the leads, we, we call them leads or GPs, they make more, but they work. I don't want to work. I like to be free. Uh, you know, we travel a bit now. I'm clearly older. Wait a minute. Yep. No gray hair. So uh, it's it's something that it has allowed us to uh, make a pretty good income. And I mean, a really good income because we, we hit a good time. Um, and uh, without a whole lot of worries, you know, you, you you every deal has some bumps. So you think about those. But I've not lost any sleep over this whole thing yet. Do you? travel to different meetups or uh, events to continue to meet your um the your teams that you might be investing in how did you how did you build your um your base of, of teams that you invest with um build well uh, from lifestyles the person that i met at lifestyles was brad sumrock he then split off into his own group and we followed him. He seemed to be the uh, the wizard of the group at the time, uh, the brain trust. And so because I'm in the Sumrock group and still am, uh, we get to meet tons of people. I mean, he has 
Uh, it used to be probably a thousand people coming through his, his multiple R to R meetings is what he calls them. Uh, race to retirement, I think it is. Right, and race so to I would, retirement. Yeah, I would meet people who were trying to be leads. And you could then evaluate them like, no, this guy has no clue whatsoever. You know, put him off uh -huh. on the no, the no list, at least now. This guy has a brain. He's done a business. He's got some acumen in this area. Put him on the list. So when he gets a deal, you're going to jump on that one. So you can just sort of grow that way. You meet people that you get along with. They have some, um, you know, honesty behind them, transparency, you hope. You find out sometimes they don't, but, you know, you think they do. <laughs> just good people. And being an engineer, I'm an introvert, as you can tell. So meeting all these people in the different walks of life are, it's fascinating to me, all these, these other people. It's, it's not all the nerds I grew up with. <laughs> now, are all the investments that you've made passively in multifamily space, or has there been other types of passive investments that you've made within real estate? One has been an office building. It's doing okay. One was a um, residential assisted living facility. It did barely okay, and I'm out of it at this point. Um, I think that's the majority of them. I did a little bit of uh, hard money lending also, but, you know, nothing to speak of. So throughout all the different things that you've been doing, what is it that keeps you coming back to the passive the limited partners in the multifamily space. Well, once you learn how the thing works, you don't have to learn a whole lot more to do it again and again and again, you know, wash, rinse and repeat. Uh, now I've been approached by people doing storage. I've been approached by people doing um, mezzanine loans on commercial and uh, industrial. And, and I'm thinking about doing some of those things over time. Oh, one guy was pushing car washes. Another guy was pushing ATMs. Once they get the word that you've got some money, I mean, they'll come out of the woodwork. It's 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 a shark chum relationship. I'm the chum and they're the sharks. So, you know, they're always after you. Um, the early part of this, you know, I'm a, I'm a working guy, just a W-2 kind of guy up until uh, I was 50 something. And so I had a lot of money in my 401ks, traditional, because the Roth facilities hadn't been invented when I started. And so I had a, a lot of money that I needed to convert or end up paying RMDs. Mm -hmm. RMDs are evil. When you get old, you'll find out that they're a really big pain in the popo. So I suggest you not have a lot of money in traditional anything retirement. And that's it. And then you just rolled everything over. As yeah. And, well, and, and so added to that, because the properties had depreciation and um, mm -hmm. okay, US 26469G, allows you to mix and match. It's, it's sort of all real estate um, uh, CPA speak, but essentially when you make a depreciation and it's unlocked by a gain, you know, gains off uh, versus um, depreciation or losses, passive losses, then all of a sudden your regular income mixes in with that, even if you're not a real estate professional. So it allowed me to take my money out in large chunks at a much lower rate than I would have been able to. So that's why I wanted the depreciation, which is associated with multifamily. That's all done. So I can start branching out into other things. If only the economy were doing better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For the, um, the tax code that you just uh, referred to, do you have to be of a certain income level for that to really kick in and be beneficial? Or is it just getting a good CPA to line you up and the numbers correctly on the uh, there's a few pieces a few pieces of the puzzle. A good CPA is a heck of a big component of that because he had to teach me how it works and it took multiple attempts. Um, but it also helps that we had the depreciation going, the bonus depreciation associated with the cost segs. Mm -hmm. And the depreciation wanes, uh, it's not going to be as lucrative. So I was I was at a good time. Mm. And you know, so it will, it will still happen for a person who has depreciation and they sell a property. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a, a tick in your tax code that says, do I want to um, put them all together, um, aggregate or not? Uh, for the real estate professional, they want to aggregate. For the passive, they do not want to aggregate mm -hmm. because it, that allows each individual sale to be disposition of an asset. 
you didn't expect to go this way, I take it. <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm just processing it because these are all little things I wasn't aware about. And I just, it leads to the fact that I'm no CPA. And that's why most important thing sometimes is knowing your strength. And I know that that's not my strength. And that's why I have a good CPA. <laughs> so did you discover that with your CPA since you're a numbers guy? How did you come across that? Uh, I, there's a several YouTubes. I, I spend way too much time on YouTubes because I got spare time. And there's people that I have a fascination of money. So there was a, a CPA courses on how passive depreciation works. Huh. And there's a couple of guys who were actually teaching classes in it all on um, YouTube. And so mm -hmm. I hit it in that thing and I said, well, wait, how does this work? And then when we uh, got a CPA that was much more real estate, you know, as we moved along, we outgrew our original CPA. Mm -hmm. The new CPA said, hey, wait a minute, you really need to think about this because we had sold some properties, bought some properties, and all that depreciation stuff had kicked in. Thank you, Mr. Trump. So we were just cooking along in that thing. And he said, you know, you want to do the, the conversions and mixing all this together will get you into a lower tax bracket um, much more easily. I think it's um, 8855 or an 85. 58 or something like that form on your IRS. There's some form where it all mixes together from all of your K1s and then it gets added into your uh, 1040 and then it all just comes out much more easily. It makes your income look smaller. I could have either chosen to do the conversions or pay no taxes, but because of my uh, RMD situation in the future, it was the, the latter. So I got to pay some taxes, but I got it all out at a low rate. Nice. Now, when you outgrew your um, the CPA that you had, how did you go about finding a CPA that really understood this? Because I've had um, different CPAs over a course of time. I'm not obviously as far along as you are as a limited partner, but I find that um, each each CPA that I go as I go up the ladder, um, I do feel like I'm going up the ladder instead of down. <laughs> Although it does feel like sometimes the Dennis the Menace, this will show my age, of uh, <laughs> cartoon of finding the right CPA. Um, I'm finding more and more that I, I'm educating, they're educating, we're kind of going back and forth. I'm just curious, like, what was your process to be able to find a good CPA that understands limited partner investments? Because that's really crucial to take advantage of what you were just sharing there. I apologize because no answer is ever short with me, but uh, we had done one of the early deals uh, out of the 70, and I don't remember what number it was. It was in the uh, five or six ring, was with a 401k. Uh, I apologize, an IRA. And dumbest thing I ever did. Don't like to do those. But once I realized there was a, a UDFI, I started looking around at how to fix that problem. And so I went to six different CPAs over time trying to figure out which one I wanted to use and how to get how to most beneficially extract myself from that position. And so what happened is I kept playing stump the CPA. And I've got a, a friend, uh, Warren, he's a, he was a captain in the Navy out in San Diego. He had, he also invested one through a, uh, an IRA. And when it came to the UDFI, the, bastard stepsister of uh, UBIT, he said his CPA was going to a meeting to learn how to how to handle this UDFI thing. And when he got back from this meeting, he says, go find another CPA. This stuff's too hard for us. So there's a lot of CPAs that just do not understand it. And I've got war stories, multiple war stories that are along the same line where CPAs really can't do it. Uh, they just don't understand it. I, I had one woman searching you know, she was the best CPA in Tarrant County kind of thing. And she was, she worked for the Bass Brothers. And so all of a sudden, nice lady, but she came back uh, after about a month and just said, never mind, I, I really don't want to do this. It's outside my area of expertise. I mean, they are just not good. So ultimately, the, the fellow that we selected, or maybe selected us, I, I'm not sure, but uh, my, my uh, Schwab consultant gave me his name and said, go see him. And we talked to him early on about the, uh, the IRA problem. And then when uh, it became clear that our current CPA just wasn't going to cut it, we switched over to him. So we had, you know, prior knowledge of him at that point. So that almost seems like a job in itself, finding a CPA. 
unfortunately, it, it, if you do a lot of this stuff, it is painful. So, you know, talk to your other, um, your friend LPs and figure out what it is. We just call them passive investors, but yeah, your LPs and stuff like that. We have a very large group and we do talk and people think I know what I'm doing. I got them all fooled, but uh, it's, it's been you know, a lot of fun doing this stuff. So I, th I think to um, reference, you know, we're, we're talking about CPAs, just like for our listeners, just this episode, you never know exactly where it's going to lead. And I really think that this is becoming highlighting the tax benefits, you know, of real estate that a lot of people think of that you're investing for cash flow. And it's, I think you're really bringing for to the forefront that it's not just for cash flow. And so I think that's awesome that it's led to this direction of, I don't know that we've highlighted it this much in the past of the tax benefits and the different nuances that you can do with real estate. Well, because I'm in that group and because people, you know, point at me and say, go talk to him kind of thing. If you're going to do this stuff, I've, I've consulted with so many people and I always tell them that, you know, the investing in the syndications is non-liquid. You know, you marry the guy for four or five years, you know, you just, you, and the, I've, I've seen one, it's only one. I think of one person has gotten out of a deal and the group of us bought him out. We were very happy to do so because that was a very lucrative deal, but he wanted to start a business. So he wanted to get his money out of the thing. Uh, so, I mean, it's just liquid. No, but I always tell people, you know, that the, the gains will come to you typically there's been you know it was a good time there was always appreciation you know and, and that may change a person needs to be much more careful today but um the the money they pay you during the hold i call that vacation money because if you think of it as eating money you're going to be real skinny at the end of the deal you know you cannot depend on the uh, this uh, distributions. At least I've never been able to depend on them. And that's not to say that I haven't had deals that have distributed wonderfully. I think my best one, you, you wanted actual numbers. I think the best one I've got right now is running at about 34% if I can find it real fast. But it, it's, uh, you know, not a bad deal, but it's because he's paid us back some money that the, uh, the rate of the returns going up. But I've got a group of them. I call them my baseball team, the Zeros that are paying nothing right now because of the interest rate increase and all my money's going to the bank to hold the property. So, you know, but I'm sure the zeros will win a game someday. We'll see. Do you find um, that you prefer to invest in deals where um, they're that you see in the business plan that they're doing um, if, if it's possible to do a cash out refi so you get your money back or does it just depend upon a deal to you and what the returns are for the long haul? Well, it's a great question. I agree with you completely. That is a big positive in that the deal will pay you money. If it gives you money, it's a tax-free income, so to speak. I mean, there's no taxes on a, on a, a loan, and it allows you to then or invest those funds in something else and let them grow. But if the business plan, if that's the way they are depending on making a profit, that's sort of a red flag because you can't depend on that happening. So you better when you're looking at deals, think of it as if they don't do that, am I screwed? If they do do that, you know, it might be wonderful, but, you know, I want to be able to get something out of it, even if they don't do that. But we have done that a couple of times. You all asked me about my best deal, which I can tell you now, which actually has a couple of refis in it. But uh, let's say I put $100,000 into this one deal. And then after two years, we went to uh, two and a quarter years, I believe it was, we did a, uh, uh, a secondary supplemental loan on it. And we ended up getting 67,000 out of it. So now I'm, uh, what is that? 30, 33,000 left in the deal, if my math is right. But he'd already paid a fair amount of uh, money to us over that time, because the thing has been distributing pretty much forever. I don't recall us ever having to, sh well, we might've shut down during COVID for a quarter or two or something like that, but it, it's paid pretty regularly the whole time. Then about uh, three or four years after that. So about five years and we call it six years into the deal. He hands me $240,000 and the property itself is still worth well over 500,000. So, you know, that's not a bad return. Now we've held it for 12 years. It's currently up for sale. 
and I'm hoping that I actually get that 500. We will wait and see. But, you know, that's that's been where there's been a refi. It's hard to argue with a thing like that. And it's mm-hmm. nice to get the refi because then you're, you're, you know, at risk money. It's gone. You're already out of the deal. You're playing on the house instead of on your own money. Nice. It's, it's funny because we've talked quite a bit about, or in one of the past episodes, about, um, you know, the length of a hold for a passive investment. And it seems like there's, um, if people can have strong preferences one way or another. I want my money back quickly. I'm okay with a long hold. Do you have a preference? Um, is there like the whole time specific for you or is it really just deal specific? Like how do you judge when it comes to the timelines of the hold? Well, I was trained that you want to go three to five years and double your money. Yep. But as I looked at it, I said, you know, this is like flipping. I, I just, I find this to be flipping. It's just too fast. And that forced me to go and find another deal every, every three to five years and take mm-hmm. the money and reinvest it. So I'm perfectly happy with a longer hold. In fact, that lead on that deal was about to sell the place. And at the two, you were coming up on that. We'd already done very well. He was thinking about selling it. And I said, well, why don't you think about doing a cash out refi or doing a, a supplemental loan or something like that? And he said, well, yeah, let me go run the numbers. And we ended up doing that. And so he wrote a book. He did not mention my name. And I don't know exactly what he said about that one. We've had many interactions together and, and he's, he's a good friend, but uh, didn't mention my name. Did I mention that? Anyway, uh, <laughs> I, I take full credit on him considering that uh, we would hold that property longer. And like I said, we're up to 12 years on the thing and it's done wonderfully. Awesome. Awesome. And like you said, you're playing with house money. It doesn't get better than that. Oh, no, no. No. Nice. So we've heard you talk about your best deal. How about you tell us a little bit about your worst? Have you ever had any capital calls? Um, biggest oh. headache you've had being an LP? Something along those lines. Okay. The list of uh, horrors. All right. Let's see here. <laughs> I have lost 5000 on a $100,000 investment. And I will flat out tell you that a bit, half of it was my fault. They were changing the road uh, near the property that, that was the ultimate access to the property. And I probably should have done a much better job checking on my Google Earth. I always do it now. But um, anyway, they were screwing around with the road, turning it into a boulevard, and you couldn't get to or leave the property depending on the time of day and the direction you were going. So mm-hmm. that sort of kept our, uh, our rental traffic down to, to near zero all the time. Took us uh, just at three years to get from the 72% occupancy up to the 92% occupancy. And at that instant, and this is where I blame the, uh, the property manager and perhaps the lead on the deal, we uh, had some sort of water problem and we ended up charging everybody a huge amount for their water one month. And we had 20 people move out. By the way, there were hundred units. So we went right back to 72% occupancy and we ended up selling it because we were toast at that point. We weren't going to make anything and just, you know, cut and run. So that was one. So that's the one I lost a few bucks on. I wish I had never lost money because then I would say I never lost money, but I did. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I've made a whole lot more, so it's not that big a deal. Uh, We had one property where the lead was, uh, well, perhaps I chose wrong. Perhaps uh, he wasn't paying enough attention, but he was a little bit hungry when we started the deal and he became much less hungry because he had a different way of making a lot of money during the deal. So he wasn't paying as much attention. But in the numbers, we had about a $470,000 rehab budget, and he only spent $620,000 of that rehabbing the property. Doing your math real quick, you'll see we weren't making any good distributions, if you see my point. Mm. So that was one. I had a a deal where the the, uh, lead on the deal, and it was a small deal. It was uh, he, uh, him, it was him, yeah, him. And us, my wife and I, I was the uh, KP on the deal, key principal, in case that comes up in questions. Essentially, I signed the loan. Uh, I'm, I'm essentially a limited partner with a glorified uh, gold star or something like that, if you think about a KP. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he uh, he passed away. And that made me lead on the deal real quick. He's a nice fella. I mean, we weren't brother and sister or anything like that, but... Uh, it, it, it was sad. He was a nice guy. He was a little bit older than I was, and he was a little bit heavy set. He had been down to Mexico and gotten sick. He came back, was starting to look good, and all of a sudden he had a heart attack and didn't make it. 
but I ended up, uh, you know, calling the loan company right away, telling them what had happened. And we, the humorous thing he says is, well, we'll have to find out how that works because we've never done this before. Anyway, we worked it all out. And luckily I had uh, become more, uh, more rich, more wealthy, whatever you want to call it. And I could cover the loan at that point rather than having to go out and, and pay someone to be a KP on the deal after I was gone. So that was a, another thing, but there's been a, just a series of things. Uh, same guy in another deal uh, before this, uh, clearly his wife had gotten sick. I guess it ran in the family or something. His wife got sick and he stepped down the other five investors on that one. I think it was a total of seven. They said, Charles tag, you're it. And I ran it for about seven, eight weeks, maybe a little longer. And we had had a lot of problems on that one. It was a terrible thing. Um, you know, it was a strange property and it has a lot of details. It was going to make money. I knew that because it was a, almost a spec deal, a speculation. But uh, we'd had a lot of, we'd had roof damage. We had water damage and the big four apartments on top. We had no money because we didn't have, didn't have a lot of income on the deal. So our new property manager, because our old property manager was terrible, getting a property manager on a small deal, 26 units is really tough. Getting a good one is even tougher. We finally got a good one. She and I walked the property. I wrote her a check at that instance and fixed these up. We had them rented. So we went from about a 70% occupancy to about a 100% occupancy. I'm sure it was 95, 98, something like that. Anyway, we got up pretty quick within uh, seven weeks. And so I'm, I'm a hero. I did really well on it, but she did most of the work, to be honest. Um, and we ended up making a 45% IRR. I deal everything in IRRs, you know, and if you don't know IRR, I'd be glad to explain that. But essentially we did 45%. So we held it for about three and a half years. And I made as if I had a bank account that was giving me a 45% interest on that thing. So it did pretty well. too. And that one, while I was running it, I had a cash call. You asked about that earlier too. Mm -hmm. And we, we had tons of bills that we hadn't been paying because mm -hmm. people thought the, uh, the first manager was stealing from us. All the math I could do said that they didn't have any money to steal. So, you know, we had to extract a little bit more from the investors. Nobody hated me for it. It was an 8%. And uh, ultimately, like I said, we ended up uh, making a ton of money on the deal. Uh, I gave it back to the original lead. It was not that I was trying to take it over. I like being an LP, a uh, lazy person. <laughs> not, I don't be a GP. So it was just fine with me. Now, all of those um, ups and downs, were they like deal back to back or was this just over the course of the years that you're just like reflecting? Oh, on? There's, there's been issues all along. I mean, every deal, save two or three, I, I'm, more or less every deal has had a hiccup or two. I mean, it's just sort of the nature of this piece. But I, I, I paid attention while taking the training. You know, I paid I paid the big bucks, so to speak, took the training. My wife and I, after we started that that two day class, we got into the uh, training for three or four months, every night during dinner, we would watch about a 30 minutes of a video on property and, you know, study it. My wife would study it for the, uh, the people and the interactions of, you know, the, the, the emotional piece of it. And I'm doing the math in my head while we're watching it. So that's just, we had a little bit different expertise, but you know, if you're doing that many deals, there's several going every year. I mean, we would be buying three, four, Last year was a big year. We sold 12 and I think we got into nine. So um, not the best nine I've ever done too, by the way, darn it. But anyway. Man, well, you definitely must have a ton of experience when it comes to looking at that OM, at that offering mm -hmm. memorandum. Um, so if you're talking to someone that they're looking at their they're looking to invest for the first time. What are some of the things that you would give them for red flags? Because it's easy to sometimes know, okay, you want this cash on cash, you want this for all these particular things, but what are those little hidden red flags that you've learned over the years that are the ones to look for? I, I have to admit, I cheat on this one because we are all in the same group. So everybody uses essentially the same underwriting spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. Given that statement so that I know where to look on that statement, you're, you're, um, you're going to look to see what they're saying they can do on raising the rents. Everybody wants to raise the rents, but if they're mm -hmm. telling you they're going to raise the rents by uh, 5% every year for, you know, the three to five years you're going to be holding it, uh, you know, you got to throw up the vo bovine scatology flag on that one. Cleaned it up for you, just for you. You all can look it up later. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> anyway, there's that. If they're telling you they're going to lower the, uh, the expenses by a ton of money, you know, they're pulling your leg. If they're going to tell you they're going to pay the same rent 
I'm sorry, not rent, uh, same taxes before and after they buy the thing. They're pulling your leg. If they're going to tell you their insurance is going to go down, they're pulling your leg. So you got to look at the, the things that they're telling you're going to do. And just there's just flags like that. You want to look at the exit strategy. We had one property. It was a 50-unit uh, duplexes, uh, nice places. They were essentially bi-level, had a garage for each of them, which was unusual for apartments. And it was really nice. And they said, well, we can sell them individually. But I looked at the school district. You know, you look at the area it's sitting in. I said, that school district isn't good enough for you to get 50 people to move there and buy apartments at the price we would like to charge for those things. So that isn't going to happen. So we ended up selling it in its entirety. We made a few bucks on it. I have to go look that one up. It was not one of the wondrous returns, but it was an okay return. Um, let's see, what else would I say on there? You want to look and see what they, I, I like IRR. And, you know, so that number drives me just a little bit. Um, you want to see if there's anything stupid in there. I also, you know, you get a PPM and you're going to get an OA. I read them specifically for parts like where does the money go and when do I get it? What can I vote on and things like that? But if there's a mismatch between those two documents, you know, I'm pretty much out because if they can't get their documents right, uh, it scares the hooey out of me. I like people that can uh, cross their I's and dot their T's, if you will. Do you get an attorney to um, review those documents before or? I'm sorry? Do you get an attorney to review those documents? No, I mean, I, I, I can read. You know, I, I clearly, you know, I, I'm a nerd. I have taken uh, classes. I got an MBA. I took business law, that kind of thing. So I don't feel uncomfortable reading them. Occasionally, I'll hit a term I don't understand, so I'll have to go look that up or something like that. But mm-hmm. although I will agree that attorneys may not be human, apologies to anybody listening, they 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 are human-like. And so they do use words and paragraphs, although there are certain meanings that you have to understand. So you can read. Th- All right, Tamara, I like that. You almost laughed. you you got to read through there. And if they got some weird <laughs> stuff in there, you, you need to check on that. But most of them are pretty much the same. So I read them cover to cover on the first two or three. And then after that, I just sort of scanned for the parts I want to look at. You also want to look, um, if you're going to invest in this thing, you want to see what are the teeth associated with the capital call. Um, Uh Some of them put more teeth in there. um, And you do want to, in my opinion, ask for the addendum. They're supposed to give you, because it's part of the contract on the uh, OA, Uh Who's, in, who's in, uh, invested in this thing? What's their contact info? Because occasionally you want to get a hold of everybody and t- toss somebody out, which I do have one of those right now. Oh, that's interesting. That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> that's a mouthful. That's a mouthful. Where do we, yeah. not, where, what nugget do we pull out of that one? <laughs> yeah. You can hear people talk about that. That Well, first of all, at candidly, which I totally appreciate. and was so happy that you agreed to come on the podcast for that very reason because i've heard you speak on um meetups before so i know that you would be just you know telling it like it is instead of sugarcoating which is that you we really particularly for someone new they really need to understand that no deal is the same and that there's always going to be in real estate in life just like think about it in life Mm -hmm. just as you were saying taxes always you know you were telling like the red flags if they're saying the taxes go down you know, we can take common sense if you live, you know, a life and you're paying some, you know, some bills. You can see, you know, well, if I have a W two and my income is not coming going up, I'm not getting, you know, a raise. You know, maybe say, let's just say, you know, projected three percent, you know, per year or whoever you're working for, then you can't necessarily believe that you can go into an apartment complex and they can be increasing the rent five percent every year. You know, you have to have use your common sense of what it's like just to live and then apply that, you know, multiply, you know, some of the numbers. It's um, we know a lot more than what we think we do. Well, uh, I, I should have mentioned this when you were asking that other question. Uh, I bet on the jockey. You know, the, the horse is good, but I always bet on the jockey. And that's why I meet the people ahead of time. I get to know the people ahead of time. I prefer 506Bs over 506Cs, although I can know the people on a C also. Uh, but it's just that if I know them, I get to, I get to know them. I, you know, I, I, you know, I don't live with them for a week or anything like that, but I, I get to speed, spend some time. I go to a lot of meetings with them and ultimately, you know, you get a feel for a person. Uh, there was one fellow, the next banker, 
jumped into his deal, we did pretty well. Uh, a couple, one of them was a uh, worked for Merrill Lynch, I think it was. The other one worked for um, IBM, jumped in their deal. We did really good. Uh, best return I've ever had. It was a 78% IRR. And if you understand that one, that's just very wowing. But it only lasted for uh, 19 months, and we almost tripled our money. So um, it, it's know the person, and if they have integrity, then you can somewhat trust their discussions about the demographics of the area where it's at. You can uh, you can trust their underwriting, but you want to you know check it. You know, always carry a big stick and verify a little bit. You know that kind of thing. But it's uh, you know. Anybody can lie to you. Numbers can lie in any way, shape, or form. So you've got to have a little bit of trust for the person, you know. But there's there are shysters out there, so be very careful. Uh, you know, know who you're dealing with. Uh, we had one guy in the group. He just lost 170 million dollars on a foreclosure. So you know, uh, and I was not in it. Thank you very much. But uh, it, it it was you know disheartening to a bunch of people who were in his deals. So I wanted, can we back up just for a second? When you said you prefer to invest in a 506B as, a fo as opposed to a C for an, or, uh, newer listeners trying to understand, um, could you differentiate sure. what, why you chose that? Okay. I don't need to define them. All right. Uh, well, you, you could define them and then, um, and then go right. into the explanation. So 506B, you know, everything's, it, they're all securities. They're all covered by the SEC. And the SEC says you have to register unless, and they give you some exceptions. 506B is the exception that it's the, quote, friends and family. You have to have a substantive uh, pre-existing relationship with the lead, one of the leads, on a deal. Um, the And so, you know, somebody has to know somebody to get into that deal. And you can have 35, up to 35 uh, sophisticated, that means non-accredited investors. What does it mean to be sophisticated? It means you're supposed to know what the heck you're doing. But there's a ton of people out there that lie. And I really think it's a bad idea. Learn how it works. Read a couple of books. Know what the heck you're doing. Because if you don't, you're going to be one of those people that's going to get, you know, churned out into the butter here at some point. Anyway, that's what that's what it is. And the reason I like those is because more or less everybody in the deal knows at one another and knows the guy. Now, I might not know. There could be 40 or 50 people in on the deal, but I'm going to know 20 of them right off the top of the top of my head. And I'm going to know one or two or three of the leads. And there might be one or two I don't know. And by the way, I want to know the big dog. I have been in a deal. I've learned that deal with the big dog, because if you're betting on one of the little minions that works for him, then things are not going to go as well for you as unless you know the big dog. And, you know, that was a deal in Shreveport, Louisiana, and it went not so great. I didn't lose anything, but you know, you, you want more. You just think these things ought to, mm -hmm. you ought to get a better return sometimes. But sure. anyway, so there's that. Now the 506C is one that um, everybody in it is gonna be accredited. What's an accredited person? Someone make uh, has a million dollars of wealth, makes 200 or 300,000, uh, 200 individually, 300 with their spouse, partner, whatever the hell it is. And um, so they're going to be the accredited group. Essentially, the law protects the stupid and the law protects the poor. If you're rich, they don't protect you. So therefore, you can be accredited and get into these things and lose your money. I strongly suggest if you're accredited and you want to get into this game, read those same books, understand how it works, get, get after it, know what the heck you're doing. Anyway, that's pretty much that that part of it. Um, did I hit, did I answer that one? You should have. Oh, the accredited, you have to prove that you're accredited. It's easier to do now than it used to be. Um, my broker refuses to write the letter. My uh, accountant at the time was too hard to find, so I didn't get that one done. So it was just inconvenient for me. Let's see, there was one more person that could do it, and I can't remember who it was. But anyway, yes, and I typically don't care, have an attorney in my pocket regularly, so didn't have somebody who would write that letter for me. I did finally browbeat the uh, the broker when I wanted to get into one of those deals, but they're less, less convenient. They now have services that will do it for you, but, you know. Oh. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's definitely an important one. And gosh, there's a lot of great, 
great info you've had here. And I think um, one thing that you've mentioned a few times, if you could define it a little bit better for us, because it seems to be really important to you. And if it's important to you, it should be important for other passive investors, the IRR or the internal okay. rate of return. Do you want to tell us well, why that's so important to you? Well, the IRR is the real return. Uh, if they tell you about the average annual return, what they're doing is they're taking the total return and dividing it by time. But if you look at that, um, if you think about compound interest, compound interest is going to grow at a certain interest rate over a long period of time, and it's a curve. Average annual return is a straight line. So essentially, IRR calculates the curvature, the line, the actual interest rate as if you had a savings account. And uh, if I take that deal that was uh, Casa Flores, the one that paid 78%, it's just like I had a bank account and I put the money in and they paid me their money at the certain at the same time frames, and I got an interest rate. The bank's paying me 78%. That's the, the end term on that money. So I like to look at it that way because it takes time out of the equation. If I've got a deal that does three years and a deal that does five years, if I calculate the IRR, that is the truthful way to compare the two on what the return was. Perfect. Thank you so much. You definitely explained that very well. You did, did very well. I can do the math for you too, if you like, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. Awesome. So yeah. I think we covered a lot of great stuff. Is there any one other big thing that you would tell the passive investor for the first time? Okay. There's two things that drive me nuts and one of them is sort of going away, but I'll hit it anyway. If you're the first time person and they're pushing passive depreciation, you know, Oh, we got this bonus depreciation. I guess this year it's going to be 60% next year to be 40%. You can use that to do such and such. I'm here to tell you, you can't do squat with it if you're the first time. If you are not in real estate already, it will not help you. It's just like it never happened. So don't get excited about that depreciation. Where it helps is if you were in it, you sell something, you have a huge uh, gain, you buy something, you get the depreciation, you wipe the gain out with the depreciation, off you go. But if you don't have a gain to wipe it against, and it only works on other passive. It does not work on your uh, your stock market. It doesn't, you know, doesn't work on that stuff. There's mm -hmm. three types. There's the po portfolio, there's your W-2, and then there's real estate passive. So anyway, that doesn't do you much good. Be, be aware. And for some reason, no, I know what reason is. They want your money. The leads will always neglect to mention this. Uh, you know, and they're not being completely dishonest. They're just being partially dishonest because they're the sharks and I'm the chum. Just what's going on there. The second one is um, I am not a big fan of using a Roth. Uh, I'm sorry, not a Roth, but an IRA of any type. Uh, a solo 401k is slightly better. A Roth solo 1k probably solves all the problems. If you can get some Roth solo 401k and you want to invest in this stuff, go for it. But uh, the problems with it are there's something called uh, UDFI, uh, undefined. I can't remember what the thing is. There's UBIT, which is uh, unrelated business tax. And there's uh, UDFI, which is a similar thing, unrelated debt financed income or something like that. Anyway, the, um, the problem is that, uh, let's see, example probably makes the best sense. You put in 100. They finance half of the thing. So 50% of your gain, they're financing half of it, is going to be taxed with this UBIT tax or UDFI tax. You're going to make, uh, if they double your money, you get back 200. Well, the gain on the thing, because they've paid you some other stuff out, there's been other expenses, is really about 120, probably. So $60,000 is going to be taxed at somewhere near 30 to 40%. And all of a sudden, you're going to go, oh, hey, wait a minute. IRAs aren't supposed to be taxed. What's going on? You're screwed. It happened. You're taxed. So just be very aware that, you know, the deal is not what people tell you up front. And why isn't it? Because they want the money. They don't tell you about this. And the guy who's going to be managing your IRA, it's, you know, some company. There's great companies out there. The one I did, I, I loved Quest. They were wonderful. But nobody tells you about this little tax problem until you're already in it. You know, it's like, oh, by the way. And, you know, you come back and you go, well, wait a minute. This is a problem. So 
you know, if, if it, it was on the deal that turned out to be worth, uh, let's say I put in a hundred, turns out to be seven fifty to eight hundred thousand dollars. You know, if I'm going to end up paying, you know, tax on four hundred or five hundred thousand dollars of this gain, it's like ouch. So you know, it 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 is great if you want to do this, get into a deal that doesn't work. You won't pay any tax. It won't be as big a problem for you. That was tongue in cheek. Uh, <laughs> Well, that's good to know that those are two very, very good things to be aware of. Thank you. You're welcome. I was looking at your questions. What was your answer? Okay, worst things you've learned. Okay, I, I think we hit most of that, didn't we? You, yeah, you yeah, we got it, and we hit it, and all of it, and more. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> uh, so, Charles, okay. if our listeners want to learn more about you or reach out to you, how would they do that? I, I am not a, you know, please do not go out and find me on LinkedIn. I, I am not a LinkedIn person, but I mean, I'm out there, but you know, if you hit me, I'm going to go looking for what email I can send back to you at that point. Most everybody where you can't send them an email back and just drives me nuts. Yeah. Uh, my email is, you've got it. You're perfectly welcome to stick it in the notes or something like that, whatever you want to do with it. I don't mind. I'll answer emails. I'll talk to people. It, you know, one of the things I like to do, this has been so lucrative to me. I'm retired. It's not like I got a lot of other things going on in my life. You know, I'm, I'm happy with what I do, but I try to help people who are getting into this. That's very um, awesome. They, you know, and I'm, I'm good for getting you through, you know, the beginning because I'm not, I'm not a GP. I'm not an expert on everything, but I do have a fairly good um, understanding of what being an LP is. And I'll talk a person through it. You know, my, my suggestion right now, the interest rate, if you got into a deal today, what you want to find is a deal that somebody's stealing from somebody because they're 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 underwater in their interest rate. You know, so there will be deals in the next few months that are going to be great. If you got into a deal last year, and you know, like I couldn't tell you, you know, several of my deals last year are those interest rates that are going to blow up in my face. You know, I fully expect to have a deal or two disappear this year. You know, so I'm going to get to pay back some of that money I got from the house over time. I'm going to bet on black and red's going to come up, you know, and that's just life. Um, but, you know, this has been very lucrative. And I mean, multiple millions of dollars has come my way by doing this stuff. Uh, and it's been just enjoyable to meet people like you all and everybody else. So, you know, I'm not saying avoid it. I'm saying open your eyes, understand, um, understand the time value of money, you know, anytime for anything you're doing, understand time value money. And then, you know, read a couple of books. I like The Hands-Off Investor, if you want a suggestion. It's by a guy named uh, Brian Burke. Great book. Uh, and, you know, understand the mathematics behind the thing. Because as a passive, you're not managing the place. You're a silent partner. I mean, that's all you are. So just understand what's going to happen, how it's supposed to happen, and keep your eyes open. And, you know, I used tennis the other day. And the guy says, well, I'd rather play racquetball. You know, you don't have to do any of this. You can just play racquetball instead of watching any of these reports that come out. You know, so it, it's, it works fairly well. But, you know, get to a guy who is transparent, has, um, um, I was about to say dignity, but that's not the right word I'm looking for, is honest. You know, you want a guy who's honest and, and has transparency and knows what the heck he's doing. Awesome. That's great, great advice. And, um, the way we like to wrap up everything is we like to end each podcast with a thought provoking kind of pick a quote of the day. Um, so Tamara has three cards. Uh, could you choose a number one through three? And that will tell us what quote Tamara will read. And then we'll chat a little bit about it. A number between one and three, I guess it's two. <laughs> it's two. It's two. And it's, and it's work smarter, not harder. By Alan Morgenstein. Can I add one just for the fun of it? Yes. Yes, sure. The longer I work, the luckier I get. Oh. Ah, I like that. I like that. Especially with you working smarter, not harder. So it's also well, the you, luckier, um, smarter you get. This actually makes me think about you taking the LP and saying that it's for the lazy person. So yeah. just, I mean, uh, not knowing well, that. And then this coming up just, you know, just really seems to fit that puzzle piece. <laughs> the first deal I got into, which is analogous to what you're probably advertising with or your, your mark, your uh, customer base is on this. I put in $150,000, you know, take a big jump right up front. And I was a KP on that particular deal. 
And in those days, we wrote checks. Uh, now everybody has wire transfers pretty much. Right. You know, I knew the guy not terribly well, considering it's the first deal. And I essentially had to take that check in my hand and push my hand over to it because once <laughs> wow. it thing back, I was scared to death to do that. But you know, it worked out okay. I mean, that wasn't the best deal we've ever been in, but, you know, it, it did okay. I can see that being a lot harder than pressing the send or the enter button with that wire. Oh. This is a lot more effort than this. So I, I, yeah. I feel that. <laughs> I was looking for an escrow account or something. Didn't happen. So jump in. Crazy, crazy, crazy. All of the problems that we had added to my education. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. problems are not necessarily bad. You know, just realize that you work the problem and you overcome the problem and you move on. You know, every, almost every deal has some problems. So you just, you just work them. Mm -hmm. Love that. Well, Charles, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. I mean, this is so much information. I think uh, I think I'm going to listen to this again to take some more uh, the tidbits and particularly what you were talking about with the um, the CPA um, finding the right CPA, uh, just what it's like to be a lazy partner slash limited partner. I love that. Um, and you know, it really it is. I find it to be it has been extremely inspiring to just how. Um, I mean, I just know just from, you know, my experience, which is not nowhere near yours, um, just how lucrative this is and uh, and how much I enjoy it and how much I enjoy meeting the people that are also in this particular arena. So um, I want to thank you so much. And I hope our listeners got just as much out of it today as I did and the rest of us. And um, and just want to say thanks to our listeners for joining us at the roundtable today. And if you want to learn more about us, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and visit us or on our website at therealestatewomen.com. And once again, thanks for uh, joining us today, and thanks again, Charles. Thank You're you. You're welcome. The information contained in this podcast is for educational purposes only. We are not licensed professionals and do not give investment advice, tax advice, or other professional advice. Please consult a licensed professional before making any financial decisions.